HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. This is your co-host Brian Krebs talking. Dan Matthews is not going to be on this episode. He's got some meetings with his family and a business partner down there in Missouri. So we're going to ride it solo again. Hopefully it turned out well with the episode 58 Branson Krebs that we ran solo. Um, we're going to do it again. So got a really cool guest in today. Uh, his name's Dwayne Sessions. You know, Dwayne and I actually met on the Elk Mountain this last fall out in Montana. Um, he went, he and his brother and a friend were camping, um, I don't know, just down the block, You, I guess you would say, from me and my brother. So we met, we saw each other pretty much every day, um, glass and elk, and, and started to kind of connect a little bit. And Dwayne has had an ex extensive history of hunting the west so super excited to to get him on talk about just elk hunting archery um he does a lot of fly fishing up in the mountains that's his real passion and so we might dabble in some fly fishing content since it's you know west of the missouri it it probably qualifies for the western rookie podcast so super excited for today's episode i don't really have a lot of um of updates for you on the life side of things it is still snowing here in Minnesota, so shed hunting has been put to a halt. Um, haven't got out lately to find any antlers. However, Dan and I have finalized our plans. If you listen to the last episode, we are heading southwest in April to find some elk sheds, and so we're probably going to be doing some some podcasts from shed camp, so that's exciting. And then application season's upon us, so the elk team is looking at Colorado as a potential state we're not sure where we're going to elk hunt in the state yet but archery elk in Colorado is going to be happening this year so we might be applying um, or we might do over the counter Uh, so we'll keep you posted as I learn more on that front and that's about it that's about all the updates I have for you today and I see that Dwayne has logged in and is waiting in the lobby so I'm going to pull him in here and we'll fire this episode off You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Dwayne, got you in the podcast. How's it going today, bud? Pretty good. Yeah? Just enjoying some snowy weather and hanging out, getting trying to find stuff to do. Yeah, I'm in that same boat. We're getting dumped on again today, another 6 to 10 inches. It's pretty much put a cease to all shed hunting, um, which sucks. And as as I was uh, getting set up, I was kind of wondering about you, and I was thinking, 
I wonder if Dwayne is getting more excited for like application season and elk hunting, or is he just solely focused on fly fishing? <laughs> Man, I've been, I've been, I've been kind of cooped up. Uh, my daughter, she's, she played basketball this year. And so I've been kind of chasing that around and really haven't had a chance to, uh, to, to get out with the fly rod. And so I'm, I'm really chomping at the bit to do that. I mean, I just, I, this time of year, especially once March hits, I just fly fishing is takes over for me. Yeah. I will say, um, I've never fly fished at all. I love fishing, but to me, I love, I love hunting way more. And when I was looking at your Instagram page just a little bit ago, it's like, I think you're at like a five to one fish to animal ratio. So you, yeah. would you say fly fishing is like your, the, like the number one on your list? Yeah. Yeah. Just be, mostly because, mostly because that the, the season's longer for me, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I I'll, you know, I'll even, I'll even take breaks just once archery season's over you know, October, November, if the, you know, if the weather holds out good and, you know, and, you know, flow levels on some of these rivers are are good. I mean, that I'll take breaks from rifle hunting. So to fly fish and, um, you know, even archery season, like I hunted Colorado, uh, early, uh, in archery season this last year. And, uh, I, I took my fly rod with me, you know, there were a couple of days it was slow. It was hot. And, you know, I just went down through on a pair of Chacos and climbed in the river and caught fish. Is fly, I'm such a newbie when it comes to trout and fly fishing. Is that something that you would like cook up at elk camp then and like eat the fish you catch or does it not taste? I mostly, mostly for me with fly, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy eating trout. You know, I guess. I guess I, I guess it's more I enjoy torturing them with a with a hook <laughs> and then sticking them back in the water. Yeah. But um, you know, here and there, you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll you know I'll keep one and you know and, and I have done it, especially backpacking in the summer. Um, you know, I'll get up to some of those high mountain lakes and and uh, I'll go ahead and keep a couple and you know cook them over fire or whatever. Just you know, but um, no, I don't I don't I don't eat a lot of trout. I just like catching them. Yeah. You know, it, it's probably one of those things where a guy should get more into it because every eight, nine day elk hunt we've ever done, there's always like one day where you're like not feeling like you want to co yep. peak the mountain. And yep. so at least if you brought a fly rod, you could be doing something fun versus just sitting in your bunk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, up there, you know, where I met you last year, um, you know, the, 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 you know, there's some, creeks and stuff that are running through that area that uh you know there's not you're not going to find like big fish in there but there's brook trout and stuff in there and and if i do have to eat a trout a lot of times you know one of those smaller brook trout is probably probably my favorite you can stick it on a stick and roast it yeah yeah i suppose depending on how deep you are how long ago you ran out of food i bet that brook trout starts tasting really good yeah um if yep. you're hungry enough, which I do, I did want to, I did want to mention, kind of talk about how we met. So, so, you know, you and I, we met last year in elk camp just by chance. Yep. Like we didn't go to the same hunt. We just found out we were, um, camping next to each other and hitting the same glassing spots most days. And, 
eventually, yep. you, you, you know, I feel like it's probably however you meet someone hunting, you're kind of like pretty cautious at first. Like, yeah, we're hunting kind of yeah. over there. And then once we started to, I mean, we're seeing each other almost every day. Eventually we figured out, okay, like those guys just hunt over there. We don't even, we've never been over there. We're hunting over here, not too much overlap. So then it was kind of more fun to kind of be a little bit more open about like what we've been seeing or in the case of last year, what we haven't been seeing um, was usually the story of the day. Um, But I did want to give a huge shout out. So if, if, if it wasn't for Dwayne here and his brother, me and my brother would very likely still be packing jacks and parts up the mountain um because we had some we had some technical difficulties we popped a ranger tire on probably one of the worst roads we have ever used to elk hunt vertical steep rocks uh dugouts and and washouts and that's where we popped a tire right at last light right as a thunderstorm was rolling in and so we made a quick decision to bust it down that hill we actually took the way I think you guys typically go up. We went, we got off trail. We tried to cut some distance off of it, but we were basically diving off a cliff in the dark that we've never done before. Yeah. And got back to camp, and luckily there, there Dwayne and his brother were having a beer on the fire and had two four-wheelers, and we uh, asked if we could borrow one and go up there and take the spare off or take the tire off, bring it to town, and then use the four-wheeler again to bring it up. And actually, is it is Ken your buddy? Is that his name? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Ken actually found your four-wheeler on his way out, and he was going to say, oh, I'll just bring it out for everyone so no one has to make a fourth trip. And I didn't know where to put your key, so I just kept it in my pocket. Um, but otherwise, yeah. yeah, he could have brought your four-wheeler out for you. So. Yep. Yeah, that was I, – I don't know. That's that, that's one of the cool things, me, you know, with, with uh, elk camp like that, you know, if, if – you know, there's definitely those guys, you know, they're, they're super, they're super secretive. There's, you know, they're super cautious about, you know, what they're, but, you know, if you find somebody that, you know, you run into somebody that, that, you know, personality wise, just, you you know, you you do well with, um, you know, it's nice having, you know, we didn't like go hunt together or anything like that, but, but we kind of, we kind of got to the point where we were just kind of checking in with each other and making sure we knew where, where everybody was going to be. And then that way, like in the evening, because even that night, you know, we'd noticed that you guys hadn't come out yet. And, um, you know, we were, we were like, well, you know, maybe they got something down, but, um, it's, it's, it's nice to have those open lines of communication, especially back in a place like that, where, you know, even, even in good conditions, you know, it's, it's a haul to, to get out of there. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's just, it's nice having people around, you know, that, you know, we weren't in each other's business, but we knew where we, where each other was at so that we could, you know, kind of have that safety net. Yeah. It's kind of nice. It's kind of like a community aspect to elk hunting, right? Where it's like, yeah. I don't sleep in your house, but I know if I need help, I know where you yeah. can knock on a door. And, um, and in that particular place, I feel like that's almost a rarity because we see all the other people that kind of hunt in that general mountain and we're like, we're not going to get along with that group. Like the way yeah. they are operating and the what they're yeah. doing, especially the year before we met, we were there for rifle season. Ooh. Yeah. yeah that's rough up there. Yeah. You, 
you know, you get, and you know, and I, I mean, I understand it to a point, you know, there's, there's, there's some, there's, there's a lot of locals around that are very protective of, you know, their secret spot that, you know, that we all know about. And, uh, you know, and they just, you know, they're, they're almost kind of standoffish if you're not a local and I get it, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't agree with it, but I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and I don't even know if it was more so standoffish. I'm sure some people were, um, one, pe- one, somebody actually found my spotting scope. It bounced off my four wheeler on that really bad oh. road. And then yeah. I went around that entire area that night asking every camp. And eventually I found the people back on the mountain the next hunt. And I was like, hey, by the way, did you find my spotting scope? Because you were up here yesterday. And he goes, yeah, it's back at camp. Follow me out and I'll give it back to you. And I was like, sweet. Yeah. Um, but it's more so I think we are elk hunters that happen to have a four-wheeler and we use it as a tool. I think right. a lot of people in that valley are are off-roaders that happen to have a rifle. Right. And that was the difference that really frustrated us is opening yeah. day, you're hearing more, you know, more ATVs and side-by-sides hitting the red line than gunshots. Yep. And so we're like, yeah, maybe not anymore for rifle, but we'll come back yeah. for bow. And then we met you, and then we actually met that cowboy who was hilarious. Yeah. And the yeah. day... The next day after you basically saved us, he came knocking and was like, hey, I buried my truck. Like, I can't get out um, of this little place where I'm camping. And so we had to pull him out, too. And he was he was buried. There's no way. It was going to be a long walk up and over the ridge to get back to his headquarters to, to get some help for him. Yeah. So, but yeah. No, ironically, right before we popped that tire, I had a cow at 60 yards. And I was, I was really looking. Like, I... We were locked, so I could have probably slowly drawn and shot, but what I couldn't really do was, like, make sure I had a good range and they were open right. country, and so I was like, I just don't feel like I want to push the limit. 60's already a long ways, and then 60 yeah. without a guaranteed range, like a solid range and adjustment, it's not a yeah. shot that's favoring me as the hunter yeah. anymore. So we got into a big herd. My brother saw, that day he saw about a, three he thinks it's mid threes and he's seen a lot of bulls so i believe him and um because i i let out a bugle and we hear a response about 300 yards away just like you do right just elk hunt. Yeah. and so we're looking and you know usually it's kind of funny because once you've done it enough you know like don't just take off like pull up the map check the wind he, okay we think he's here let's do this while all of a sudden he bugled again and he had cut the distance in half in about 10 seconds and so we're like, oh, crap, this is not good. He's above us about 100 feet. He's coming fast. And so we just try to run. Well, sure enough, deadfall. Like, we're in the middle of deadfall. Yeah. And so we both trip and fall, and we make it all of about 10 feet, and he's there. Full herd, huge bull. Turns out a different hunter jumped him and his herd tracking his bull. And it just was coincidence that I bugled, but he was going to, he was going to run over us anyway. So he winded us. We had bad thermals and he was above us and we had no time to move, but we saw that big bull. I think it's probably a big bull that you guys had also been seeing. Um, yeah, I, it probably was there. Yeah, there was, there, there was one real good bull. And then, um, there were a couple others that were, I mean, they were, they were, they were decent bulls. Um, but I don't, you know, when it when it comes to those bowls and I've got a bow in my hand, I'm, I'm 
I'm not real, you know, I don't, I'm not real picky. No, no, I was about to shoot the raghorn that he was with. He was at 50 and he went behind yeah. a tree and I was at pulling back to like get him on the other side. And right as he was behind that tree was when everything, all the cows, everything kind of caught our wind at that moment. That raghorn, I wow. think, blew through our wind because he was going so fast and he wasn't as smart. But the lead cows and that big bull caught our wind and everything locked up and just took off, which was a bummer. It's cool to be close, but that whole day, like, we were in them. And then right at last light, I almost shot that cow. And then thinking back, wow. like, oh, my gosh, what if we would have popped that tire at, like, Knowing, looking back, seeing that that thunderstorm came through after yeah. dark, and then we would have still been quartering and packing, and then we would have had a flat. I mean, it would have just been, it would have been a survivable ordeal, but it would have been a real bummer. Yeah. So, glad it kind of worked out the way it did. Yeah, it was, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you get that was that was a bad spot, and and uh, yeah, I, would, I mean, I would, we were we were just happy that we were there to help you guys out of that because that could have been bad. Yeah, it was kind of funny. We did go home that night, and we were like, man, I don't know. Dwayne's brother didn't really seem so hot on that idea. Like, we're a little worried. And um, and then the next morning, your brother's like, dude, I am so sorry. I heard the whole conversation from the bathroom. I thought my brother already said yes. I didn't realize he said, I'll yeah. ask my brother. And I didn't yeah, mean to be all... such a dick. And we're like, oh, we're well, like, we didn't think you were a dick, but we were a little bit worried. Like, yeah, yeah. Cause he comes out and he's kind of standing around there. And we're kind of telling him what happened. And, and, he, and he's, it was just kind of like this uncomfortable silence. And I'm like, I'm like, really? You're, you're not going to. You're not gonna let him use it, you know. <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, I I thought you already said they could." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Was a real big sigh of relief when he said that the next morning, because we kind of yeah. left it at like, "Well, we'll check in in the morning." And then we knew that the cowboy had that real old raggedy solid axle four wheeler, and that was like our yeah. next option. Was like, I bet he's yeah. not using that. Yeah, that would have been a bad one to take up that road too, because that you know that that solid axle. That's that's a road that you crack that axle. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It is bad. And we thought about it. Like, my dad has a carbon copy Ranger of my brother's, so we should have just put it up on blocks and took the front and rear tire off of it and brought him with his spares. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's something that definitely we need to add to our system for sure. But Yeah. But, yeah, I was listening to some of your podcasts that you've done with other people, and it, it sounds like – your style, maybe just the style of those two bulls that were on the podcast were different, but it sounded like you're very comfortable spotting and stocking elk with your bow versus calling them into you. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you're if if you're in an area where um, you know you don't have a ton of pressure, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm 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 okay with um, you know just trying to get us. As, as close as I can without making a sound. Um, you know, I, I, I do like to get out, you know, in the mornings, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm out there in the morning, you know, because, you know, that area we were hunting over there, there, you know, we do a lot of, there's, we get up in the morning, a lot of mornings and go up in glass and try to find elk. But if I'm already up there, you know, if, if, if they've been regularly in a, in a, you know, certain area, several days in a row, you know, I'll go hit it in the morning and maybe hit like a locator bugle or something just to kind of get a feel for where they're at, you know, and then, 
you know, like you said, you, you kind of figure out what the wind's doing, what the thermals are doing and um, just trying to just, just kind of push it close and, and uh, see if you can find them. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you, sometimes you got to hit a few cow calls or something to try to, to relocate them again. But um, yeah, I, I spot and stock. I, I have no problem with. Do you, if, if, if it's open country, like we were in, you know, it's, I feel like that spot's kind of weird because it's not that high elevation to have like a tree line. And then right. the, even the trees aren't that thick. And right. so I feel like it's kind of a unique spot. Is that usually where you start to do more spot and stock when it's like kind of that more open country, you're probably going to get windowed anyway, or yep. very likely you're going to get windowed if you try to call them into you. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, that's the thing with open country too. If you're, if you're out there and, and you're, you know, and you're doing a lot of calling and stuff, you know, with, you know, especially with that particular area, I mean, all, all they really have to do, you know, because you've got these, you've got these, uh, uh, timbered slopes, you know, and then the opposite slope is completely bare. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're, if you're kind of working your way up this open, this open slope, I mean, they can see you from that timber. And so if you, if you start calling, you know, they're looking over there and they're not, you know, they're not seeing an elk. And so they're, you know, you know, a lot of times I'll either just sit tight or they'll, or they'll just blow out the top. Um, but you know, whereas, if, you know, if, if you kind of got a, a general idea of where they're at, I mean, you could, I, I I'll do a lot of times where I'll, I'll, I'll see them go into the timber and I'll slip up the bottom of that drainage, you know, and, and, and hope the wind holds out and, uh, you know, I'll just sit, you know, pretty close to where I saw them go in the timber and, 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 uh, just, and wait for them to make a sound. Um, you know, that, and that can be an all day thing, but you know, that a lot of that comes from, you know, like, you know, like you guys in the Midwest with, with whitetail hunting and stuff, sitting in a tree stand, you know, I've done a lot of that, um, you know, when I, when, when I lived in Oklahoma and, uh, you know, and so for me, I can sit there all day. I have no problem. If I, if I, if I, if I'm pretty confident that they're there, I'll, I'll sit all day and not make a sound and, you know, and wait for, wait for them to get up and start moving around and making noise again. And then, you know, I'll decide how, you know, how I'm going to approach it. Yeah, but, it's kind you know, of. There's a lot of guys out west here that they don't have a lot of experience just you know sitting all day, and you know and they want to push that issue, and um, it usually doesn't go good just be, because, like I said, the way the terrain is there, you know, with the you know with the the, the timber on that you know on that kind of north side, and then you know the opposite slope being wide open, you're gonna get busted, you know, and going through that timber even though it's you know, it's fairly open. There's the, most of it. There's not a ton of, you know, like bad deadfall, but it's still, it's hard to be quiet moving through there. And then, you know, when you trip over them, I mean, they know you're there. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a different unit. You know, we're used to more black timber for sure. And, yeah. um, and yeah, that's kind of funny. You, you make the correlation to like whitetail hunting. We just had Ryan Carter on the podcast last week and I'm sure okay. you know him based on other yep. people, you know, and he said the same yep. thing. He's like, I actually kind of just started putting together my whitetail patterning techniques with trail cameras and loops and 
just started applying it to elk hunting. And then he obviously uses a lot of tree stands because he's hunting like very yeah. early season, you know, summer pattern stuff. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I like what you say. And I think it, you know, that unit, I think between the unit and the year we had last year, it was just a weird combination because it's a lot of elk, but they weren't very vocal for whatever reason. And right. I heard that across a lot of the west last year i don't yeah i don't understand how it could be the same thing like states away where people it's like middle third week of september and we can't buy a bugle um, yeah and so i definitely think that's where you um, you might just have to change your tactics up like you said yep. you know if if i get eyes on a herd and i put them to bed or close to you know pushing the issue is going to maybe blow that one it might take you three days to get on another you know small batch of elk and so if yep. you want to push that issue push your issue when when you got bulls going off everywhere and it's like okay if we blow this one we got another one 600 yards right. away we can go chase yep. and i and, and i've hunted that area like that too i mean you know that that's that's the that's the nice thing about you know that area if you, you know if you've got some place where you can get up you can glass those elk and you can kind of see what they're doing you know i i honestly i like to my preference is to is to spend a day or two um, glassing before I before I try to make a move on them, you know. But I've got that time. Yeah. You know, there's some guys that you know they've got you know five days they got to get in there and get it done, and so you know they'll they'll you know they'll try to make adjustments on the fly, and it works out. I mean, but you know, there there's been years. You know, same same area. I've 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 actually killed two bulls up there within probably a hundred yards of each other, um, two years in a row. And the first year, um, we called it. We called the bull in, and um, you know, almost every morning was just you know they were just going off. Right, you know, right before daylight, and and uh, you know, and and so our strategy was well, we're not going to waste time glassing. We're going to get up here where we know they've been. And we're, you know, we're, and we're going to call them and, you know, and, and move, call and move, call and move. And, uh, you know, to try to get the, the wind and everything in our favor. And then the, the next year, I mean, we weren't, we weren't hearing anything. And, uh, but again, you know, that, that, that general area, I think the day I shot that bull, we'd watched, we'd watched, um, him and a couple others the night before. And, and so that next morning I was like, well, let's just, let's just get after it. And, you know, we slipped in there and, uh, you know, and it, it, it took most of the day to, to, to find where he was, but, you know, it was kind of still hunting, um, you know, kind of working our way around and, and, you know, we just happened to, we just happened to spot him, you know, bedded down below a tree. And we'd actually like the day had gone so slow, probably 10 minutes before we saw him um we'd called you know like 30 yards away from where we'd seen him you know we we kind of set up you know did some calling and there and it was just absolute silence and we just happened to catch a glimpse of him as we were kind of still hunting our way back through some through some uh timber and you know and then i just you know i put together a plan and and, and stocked on him put a stock on him and lucked out yeah, was that a bull that was like satellite bull? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I've had sure. the same exact thing happen in a different part of Montana. Me and a buddy, you know, we we're walking through and it was like a slow day, 
and we're probably moving too fast, but we weren't even we weren't even on elk. I mean, we're basically doing a glorified scouting mission. And we go through this patch of woods, and it's all of a sudden we just both stop, and it's like we got T-boned by a scent, right? And you're like, there is elk yeah. here. And so we yeah. slow up, and we we find a patch of fur. Like, we find this bull bedded at 40 yards above us. And it must have been a cold, rainy day because the thermals were going down. And, and we tried to cow call. We were putting up glass, trying to make sure he was legal. Finally figured out he was legal. We're doing a cow. I mean, 40 yards, it's like, man, we're kind of, we're not set up to be doing calling. So like we didn't really right. get too aggressive. Well, then our other two happened to meet us. Like they came in like 30 yards below us. So now we are set up great. Like we're perfect. They're 70 yards from the bull. We're 40. They can't see, the bull can't see him. He's bedded behind these trees. We can only see patches of fur. And man, we had play signals. Like I joked that we should get these quarterback arm straps so we can be like, you know, do two, four or two, zero. But we we got all the hand signals, and so we're like, you know, ramp it up, cow call, bugle, you know, give the bugle, give the chuckles. Um, that bull didn't even care. 40 yards away. Didn't care at all. No peep. And so I think it's just you got to keep that in mind because a lot of people see Corey Jacobson run around on yeah. ridges and bugle, and they bugle back, and then he shoots them. And that's great. It works for sure. But you, what you didn't see is the 100 bugles he ripped without a response and all right. the elk he runs by. And he will say, like, yeah, I run by elk all the time because I want to interact with one. I don't want to kill one. Right. Yeah. And so it's like not every bull in the woods is going to answer your call. No. No. It, 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 there, there's sometimes it's kind of a – it's kind of a it, – you're just lucky that, that anything's talking, you know, and, and – uh you know, and especially when you, you know, the area, the area that, you know, where, where, where we met, you know, you don't have, you know, like the wolf pressure and stuff like that, but you get, you know, you get over closer to Yellowstone park and, you know, and those, those units around uh, there. And there, there's a lot of times, you know, guys, they won't, they won't hear a bugle in a week, you know, and, and, you know, they're in elk every day, but they're, but they're, they're not talking because of the predator situation. Yeah, and that's kind of, we did hunt, we've hunted some gravelies, which is, I think it's a mountain range off the park, but it's still kind yeah. of part of that greater Yellowstone ecosystem, was what they say. Right. Yeah. Bears and wolves, for sure. I mean, we yeah. saw grizzlies, and we've actually had decent bugling in there. The reason we yeah. left is because we had a little, we had a couple encounters that were a little close for comfort with grizzlies, and one year yeah. we were there, there was like five maulings in our valley the week we were there. Yeah. Yeah. It was the year that all the cows, all the beef cows ate whatever they ate the wrong flour and died. Like a whole herd died. And so there was, I think they counted like 29 bears in this area. Yeah. It was nuts. The amount of guy, the amount of maulings they had. I mean, you know, there was like, I think, I think there were two maulings where they attributed it to the same bear and they were like five miles apart, you know, where they were from, you know, the one guy got hit and then, you know, like two days later, five miles away, another guy gets, gets mauled by, and they think it was, I think, I think they said it was the same bear. Right. Yeah. It's, it was scary. They shut down the, they shut down half of a mountain, like a big yeah. mountain. They said like everything west of here is shut down. Do not go in there. Yeah. Too many bears. We were hunting the other side of that mountain. And, and so halfway through the week, somebody got enough cell reception to check the news 
And they were like, and so we were like, oh, man, there's a lot of bears here. But then we're like, well, they're all over there, so we should be safe. Well, then halfway through the week, they're like, all right, all the bears went home. You guys can come hunt here, which obviously meant they went up and over (laughs) back into our side. And we, uh, going home, we stopped at a newspaper or a gas station, saw a newspaper, and it said, you know, you know, mauling number three or whatever it was that week, you know, one mile up Fishhook Creek. I don't know what yeah. the creek was. And I'm like, Ben, didn't you kill a bull? Wasn't your bull like one mile up Fishhook Creek? And he's like, yeah. And and he pulls up the map, and the, the chunk of woods was small, like 200 acres comparatively, like pretty small woods. And so it's like, oh, like goosebumps, right? Like the good chance your kill like your carcass was what that bear was there for. And then someone else got mauled, you know, yeah. how could you know, but it still gave us enough goosebumps. We we're like, let's look for other places in Montana. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I really, because, you know, I, so I do, I do like typically like 10 to 14 days with my brother during archery season, but the rest of archery season, a lot of times I'm, I'm by myself. And uh, I, I guess there's some na- some naivety to me, and and so my wife has you know has more common sense about that than I do, and she really encouraged me to stay away from those you know grizzly areas, and you know, but so I you know I, I I'll uh, you know I'll go check out a couple other spots where you know the 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 population isn't as prevalent. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's that's basically where we got to. Um, two guys in our group, they're kind of like last-minute tag-alongs. They're not really part of the group, but we kind of said, if you want to camp with us, we can point you to some spots or whatever. Right. They had, they came up on a a, car, a bear kill, or I don't know, it was a carcass hidden, buried, like logs and stuff. Like, it was obvious a bear was, like, protecting this carcass. And then yeah. we saw a grizzly, like, 300 yards from our four-wheeler, and they texted us and said, it's like last light, me and my brother are hunting. And we get a text message and says, hey, just FYI, we saw a bear like 300 miles from, or 300 yards from your four-wheeler, kind of in between you and the four-wheeler. And we're like, oh. And so we look at each other and like, you want to see how fast we can sprint back to the four-wheeler and see if we can make it before dark? And he's like, yep. Yeah. And so we just run. We're basically running off this mountain, racing the sun, looking for bears, like, you know, bear spray out kind of thing. And it yeah. gets dark right before we get there. And we, we know where we are. We're like within a hundred yards of the four. We're starting to be like, oh, we made it. And a coyote goes off like 10 yards from us in the woods, like the last strip of black timber. And we both lost, you know, lost a pair of underwear. At that yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you're just, your, your nerves are so on edge in a situation like that, that, you know, like, even though, you know, it's a coyote, you're like, you, you can convince yourself that it's more than that. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, well, it wasn't even like that. It was just like, we had a finger on a hair trigger and it's yeah. like, who, we didn't know it was a coyote at first. We just heard this loud ass noise right next to us when we're thinking bear. Right. And then it's like, oh it was just kind of like but still man we was we lost our we lost a pair of underwear on that one um and so that was kind of just added up right you know five people got mauled we saw bears by camp elk hunting wasn't phenomenal it was good not great 
you know, let's go find a different place to hunt. And that's what led us. I mean, we looked at the map and started over, like, where should we possibly go? And that's, we landed on the, on the unit that you and I met in. Yeah. Yeah. Which to be fair, that unit has some frustrations, but we've seen more and bigger elk in that unit for a general unit than anywhere else we've hunted. Yeah. No, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good unit. It's, you know, it just, um, if you get, if you get, you know, as you get later into archery season and you, you get more guys coming in there, you know, the pressure kind of, you know, they've got some, they've got some pretty good little escape routes that, you know, they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're gone, you know, and you're, you're, you're just, you're done with, with those elk. But the nice thing is, is it's usually a couple of days and they'll kind of filter back in. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, if you, if you've got the time again, you know, some guys don't have that time, but if you've got the time to, to, to hang out and, and, you know, and, and if you enjoy glassing, you know, eventually, eventually it seems like they always come back in after a couple of days. Yeah. And it seems like that unit is a good unit to test your adaptability as an elk hunter. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Like if you have a lot of tools in your tool bag as an elk hunter, you can call, maybe you bring in a, like a mobile tree stand setup. you know how to hunt yeah. sign or pass, like still hunt, stock, glass. Like, I feel like that's a good unit for someone that's real versatile. If, if you're like yeah. a one trick pony, you just got to hope that the elk are in the mood for that one trick. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I've heard you talk, mention it twice now. You got a lot of time. And then obviously when we were talking, I, I, you know, last fall, I kind of got an insight to just to how much time you do have, but tell people kind of like how you were able to build, like structure this life that you're able to hunt 14 days with your brother and then send him back to work and then keep going after that. Well, um, my wife is, my wife is super smart. Um, you know, when we were, when, when we were young and first married, um, you know, she was almost done with school. I still had some time left and, and, uh, you know, I was like, well, you know, she, she got a, she got a great job offer. It'd been stupid to pass it up. And so we, uh, I was like, I'll just finish school wherever we land. Well, you know, by the time that school year was over and you know, we were expecting our first child and, and we'd gone down and we were in Louisiana and, uh, I was like, well, how would it, how would it be if I just stayed home with the kids? And, uh, she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, how hard can it be? <laughs> you know? And then, so the rest is kind of history. I mean, that our, our first daughter was born and I remember sitting there, you know, the day that my wife had to go back to work and I'm sitting there with this child and I'm like, I'm, I'm like looking at her and going, all right, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, I was just like, I'm just going to do what I like to do. And I'm going to take, you know, and I'm going to, I'll throw her in a backpack and we'll go do, you know, we'll go fishing, we'll go hiking, we'll do all this stuff. And, and, uh, you know, and so I pretty much raised my kids and, and, uh, eventually got to the point where I had some freedom, you know, I could go, I could, I could start heading out and, and doing some of these longer hunts. Um, you know, and I got into archery, you know, probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little, maybe a little bit more than that, but, um, 
but anyway, I, you know, I, I just, she does really good. And I, and I, and when we moved to Colorado, I, 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 uh, I got a job, um, my, you know, they were getting older, you know, I've only got one left at home now. And, and, uh, so we, uh, I took a job as a, as a fly fishing guide. And then, um, the outfitter I was working for, he ran hunts in the fall too. And so I started doing that and, uh, you know, kind of got into the industry a little bit and, and, you know, met some super cool people. And, and, you know, I've just been able to, I've, I've just had a lot of flexibility because my wife's smart. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. Well, it's not that you're not smart cause you're an electrical engineer on paper, right? All right, so I think we broke up a little bit when we got you back. And so I think it's funny you said, like, I'm, oh, my, my, my wife is just smart. But you're also an electrical engineer on paper, right? So it's not like you're not smart. No, I'm, I mean, what makes me smart is I married a smart chick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the real strategy there. Um, and so that's kind of what I did. I married a pharmacist, and I'm also an electrical engineer. So you've given me a little bit of a roadmap maybe to, <laughs> to work yeah. towards. Um, yeah. But, but was it when you were guiding, is that when you really developed your love for horses and mules? <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah. After, you know, after you get, after you get, you know, tossed off a horse a few times and, you know, and, and you know, bitten and, you know, and, uh, you know, and I just, I really enjoy how stubborn they are, you know, <laughs> it's got a place in my heart. Yeah, I think you mentioned while we were hunting in glass, and if I never have to ride a horse again, and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I don't know, I've, I've got some, I've got some buddies that you know they'll do like horseback pack trips and stuff in the summer, and and uh, I'm like, I'm like, I'll walk. <laughs> uh, no, there was there was actually there was one day where. You know, we were, they were, we were hauling a pack string out and, uh, we needed pack saddles on the horse that I normally rode, um, to haul some clients back in. And, uh, they and, and they were like, you know, what do you, are you okay walking out? And I'm like, yes, please. And I, and I actually ended up, I left camp like probably about 15 minutes after they had taken off with the pack string. And uh, I passed them right before we got back out to the trailhead. It was a couple miles, you know, of trail. And and uh, no, I'm I'm much more comfortable on my own feet um, versus having to trust the horse. They just don't like me. Yeah, I don't know. My brother's the same way, and I he says I just don't like horses. I think the real secret is he never learned how to ride them, and he just smashes his nuts every time. Well, I spent that that year that I guided wilderness area hunts, you know, horseback hunts. I mean, I was on a horse. I I I was looking at I was looking at it one one day, and it it had been like thirty two days straight that I you know that I'd been on a horse, you know, for whether it was hunting or you know going out and hauling supplies in or whatever, and I. I still never developed a love of horses. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I mean, I look at a horse and be like, man, if I had a horse, all the shed hunting I could do or all the places I could go, but then you hear all these 
busted up cowboys that, you know, fell off these horses. And I'm like, well, I just wouldn't do what yeah. you're doing. But then you hear, then I met you and you're like, I was literally doing everything I could possibly do to not get bucked off. And it still happened. Yeah. For, no, for sure. I, I, I just, they don't like me. Well, and, and part of the, part of the problem is too, is like, like an outfitter typically he doesn't have, you know, like those, like those cowboys that were up there pushing cows when we were, you know, while we were hunting. Yeah. Um, you're out, your typical outfitter. He doesn't have a horse like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got, he's got some, you know, some broke freaking, you know, horse that, that he bought from, a, for, you know, from someplace where they, they do trail rides, you know, and they, and they throw somebody on that horse for a couple miles and then they come back and, you know, that horse is, is made to walk up that trail and then walk back down that trail. And if you want them to do anything other than that, they're just, they're cantankerous. Yeah. They're like the horses that those cowboys didn't want. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're the horses that those cowboys would send to the dog food factory. Yeah. Great horse. Got a great horse. It's only 500 bucks. And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty impressive what, I mean, we just saw a little bit of those cowboys working, but I remember just busting it one day to the very top. We walked from the bottom of the top. It's not like that big a deal, but you're definitely like a little winded when you get up there. And you look and there's a guy on a horse in some country and you're like, holy crap. Like, I don't know how he got up there on that horse, but I would not be comfortable with that. Right. Yep. And then to chase cows down, like getting up's the easy part. Chasing the cows down is the real fun. Yeah, and they're like, I mean, they're not like, they're not just like slowly walking this horse down, you know, down through. I mean, it, it's it's some pretty steep terrain, and 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 they're, I mean, they're on, you know, they're running those horses, you know, to, to catch cows trying to yeah cut back or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not that I'm not that much of a horseman. Yeah, and that's where I kind of think, like, if I ever did get animals for Western hunting, the llamas are starting to look better and better. Yeah, yep. Like, I'm still going to walk, I'm not going to ride, but they're going to carry all the weight. They feed themselves, right. basically. Um, yep, and that, I mean, that, that may, that's, a, that's a huge, especially if you're doing, you know, like a, like a backpack hunt. Yeah. You know, being able to being able to take and you know put you know sixty pounds or whatever on a llama, I mean, you know, you're just carrying your boat. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, literally. And then if you have a couple more for like if you shoot an elk, or even at that point, like like when I think one thing people really forget about when you hunt deep that I've talked to anyway, they're like, Oh, that's so deep. Like imagine getting an elk out of there. I'm like, you just break it up. Like, you know, Right. Do it's. I would rather do twice the trips on half the pack, right? And if you have llamas, yep. like, what's the big deal? Like, just make three trips with your llama. Right. If you if you don't have any weight on you, you could probably do all three of those trips in a long day, or like two easy days. Right. Like like we're getting back yep. to camp for happy hour each day type of a day, um, and then it's like it's right. nothing to it's nothing to walk five ten miles a day in the mountains if you don't have that weight. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and I mean, you know, like, 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 like the first trip out, you know, you're, you know, you haul what, haul whatever you can meat wise. And then, you know, once you get back to camp, you're also dumping an extra 10 pounds, you know, in, in bow. 
And, you know, so, you, you, you know, you know, once, once you shift into that mode of, you know, you're just hauling meat out, um, you know, you can, you can streamline your pack pretty quickly to, to, you know, to where you're just, you're just hauling, you're just hauling meat. And, you know, and, and so you're walk in, you're empty, you know, come back out with a, with a full load and just do what you can. You know, there's a lot of guys that they'll, they'll pack on a hundred pounds and, you know, or so and, and try to, and try to do it all in one trip. And, you know, and that's, and that's great. But, you know, as I've, as I've, as I'm getting older, I'm like, I'd, I'd rather just throw a couple extra trips in, you know, it's, yeah, it's a nice walk in and come out heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the walk in, man. You're, I mean, when you get it, when you're in pack mode, you basically got your water bladder, a trekking pole and your backpack. Like, so the walk in, you're like four pounds, maybe. Right. It's beautiful. The walkout sucks. I mean, I've done everything. I've done everything from half of a mule deer, half of a small mule deer, which is like probably less than some of my day packs I've packed up for a hunt, really. Yeah. All the way up to about 175, 180. And and I'll tell you, there's a sweet spot. And it's not like... You know, my name is Brian and my sweet spot is X. It's like how I'm feeling today, the training I did this summer. You know, that year I was doing 175, 180. I had also lost 60 pounds, worked my tail off doing double headers. I went through a breakup, but I found it's really easy to get in shape when you when you go through a breakup. And uh, (laughs) and I drew a once in a lifetime tag. So I had I left my pack frame at the gym and I'd put plates on it after my weightlifting and then go hit the stair climber. With the stair climber, I really only got to two plates, but on a treadmill, I'd get to three plates, three, three and a half plates. And so I yeah. knew I could do it, right? And I and I did the front and rear, and I walked out pretty clean. And that was 146. I weighed that without the pack, just the two the meat and bones weighed 146. When I got to the head and the neck, and I left way too much neck on the head, the hide was yeah. wet. I saved enough hide to mount two bowls. Um, and then the antlers and the way it, it got on my pack, not only was it 175 when I weighed it, but it was also such a mismanaged weight where like the balance was all off and I had to stand at basically a 90, you know, feet up, bent over to balance it. And that's where it's like, I hit a hard wall that I couldn't do that anymore. Like the 146, when it was weighted nice is fine. And I did the entire bowl in one day. I've done five trips at this point, but that head, it crossed that threshold. It's like, if you can just keep under that, you can move so much faster. Yeah. So that's kind of my strategy. And I'm a bigger dude. I mean, I'm not a huge guy, but I'm not a small person either. So for me to do like an 80 or a hundred pound pack is the equivalent of like my brother doing that 60 pound pack. Cause he's just a smaller right. guy than I am. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it depends on, you know, I mean, there's other factors too. Like, you know, if it's, if, if, if you're all, if you're only having to go a mile, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to make myself miserable, you know, and right. we're going to get this, you know, if I've got another guy with me, you know, I take the time. I've gotten to the point where I, I really prefer to take the time to just go ahead, you know, and, 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 and break it down, get it off the bone. And, you know, once you do that, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's doable with two guys to get, to get that thing out a mile or two. Um, 
but um you know and, and it's it's still it's it's freaking heavy but um but it's doable you know when you when you start getting into that you know five miles 10 miles things like that um it's it's smarter to, it's smarter to do it in multiple trips it just is um you know for the majority of people um you know just from the standpoint of saving your body yeah you know if you if you load that thing up and hurt yourself coming out you know with that whole elk then you're having to drop it anyway and make multiple trips hurt yeah you know and, and it's just not worth it yeah and especially when you start talking like a longer pack out the longer your pack out is the better chances you're going uphill and downhill like you're going up and over, yeah. up and over, up and over. And that's when that weight really starts to eat you alive. Um, yeah. Versus like if you're talking a one-mile pack out, that usually means it's kind of a straight line. We just got to go down, hit this road. Yeah. Then we can dump it. Yeah. And we might have a four-mile around to get the four-wheeler or get the truck. But yeah. that's empty and that doesn't matter. Yeah. That's free. Um, yeah. And that's another reason I like that, that area up there where we met is, you know, even if you've got your four-wheeler – you know, or whatever, even if it's sitting back at camp, you know, you can get that meat to someplace and, and, and drop it. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be safe enough while you get back to camp and get that four wheeler to come up and pick it up. You know, there's, there's just, there's some roads there that kind of intersect in good spots that, um, you know, I don't necessarily like to drive up them, you know, when I'm hunting, but you know, once I've got something down, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go up and pick it up. Yeah, that the unit really is well, I'll I'll put an asterisk on that. Um most parts of that union are really nice mountaineering unit, right? It's easy yeah. to navigate, it's easy to get places. Yeah. It's almost too easy because you're wa- like it's such an open woods that you're probably walking too fast and then you you're jumping stuff. Right? It's yeah. that it's that easy, which kinda can be a double edged sword and that's what made the calling kinda hard and a lot of things, but we went into a couple places kind of, you know, if you drew a line between our camp and your camp and then went farther back that way up in there, we got into that yeah. stuff and that was gnarly. That was nasty. Yeah. We did like one hour uh-huh. loop and we're like, Nope, we're not hunting this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, and I, I know exactly where you're talking about and, and, and we've spent some time off and on up in there and, you know, we've, we found sign and stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the second time I think that I wandered up in there, I mean, we were, I was almost scared to call because it was so gnarly up in there. I, I kind of didn't want to run. I knew if I got something coming, I was going to shoot it and then I was going to have to get it out of there. Yeah, exactly. And I've, I got a sense that that was like a summer spot. Like I, because it's dark, it's cooler, there's more water, it's thicker, um, more blowdown rocks. It's just it was nasty. It just wasn't fun. I felt like that yeah. was maybe where the where like older bulls would go in the summer to get out of the heat. But it to me it yeah. doesn't strike me as a good rut spot because if I was a bull, like no. I would want access. Like I want to move fast. I want to find cows. I want to be able to run easy. And that's kind of where we were hunting. Plus, yeah. you know, personally, I went there in rifle season. I did a big loop, big seven mile loop. And on about mile five, so I'm about as far away from the four-wheeler as possible or the road, I fell through a bog just straight yeah. down. I took a solid step, took yeah. one more step, and there was no ground. The, the earth was not there anymore. 
Yeah, I know and, exactly what you're talking about up there. And it, uh, I mean, it is. It's. Yeah. Uh, I was not happy. I was, I was relatively unwell mentally at that point in the hunt. <laughs> this was like day five. We haven't had anything yeah. going this far. <laughs> and, uh, yep. and I was just pissed. Now my whole legs are wet. I mean, I went, I'd never hit bottom. I was just lucky enough that I went like this and put my arms out at goofy angles and caught something hard. My gun right. went under, you know, I was carrying that under the Katfaru underarm thing that went halfway yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and then I had to walk. I mean, it's 30 degrees or 20 degrees, whatever it is. And I had, I still had two miles, a solid two miles, maybe even three miles to get back to the four wheeler. And it was prime time, and I'm just like, I'm done. I haven't seen as much of a squirrel, let alone an elk. I'm going back to the cabin. Yeah. I'm going to start the supper and yeah. take my clothes off and hang them up over the fire. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of that's that unit's a goofy one. That it 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 seems like that unit's it's like the unit that doesn't want to play by the rules. It's like right. You think you're going to come here and call elk in? Well. Let me throw this at you. Or you think you're just going to glass yeah. them and put them to bed? Well, let me throw this at you. They're going to be yeah. gone by the time you get there because somebody on a side-by-side just ripped through there. Right. So. Yep. Or you're going to have somebody slip in on the ridge above you and, you know, and as wife. they're coming up over the ridge, they get busted. <laughs> Talk on the phone while you're trying to sneak on these elk. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Public land hunting. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny. One thing, speaking of all that, one thing I wanted to touch on. So we were elk hunting, and we went up high one day because we, we, we did the Dwayne Sessions plan. We got up, had breakfast, went and glassed, sat in the ranger, or you sat in the truck, you know, stay warm. But we put some elk to bed, right? We followed some elk. We kind of saw where they went. So they're like, all right, perfect. We're going to go in after them. So we climb up there. But when we were up there, what was kind of interesting was that you were somewhere where you could see us. You could see these two hobos yeah. walking around. Yeah. And yeah. and tell people what you actually what caught your eye. Your bow. Yeah, my bow. So my bow was is a white camo Matthews, and apparently yeah. that thing shined like a neon bar sign up there. Yeah. And so that's what. Yeah, because we're we're sitting over there, and you know, and and. Uh, yeah, we were kind of waiting to see if something would come up over the top of this ridge, and and I just I just caught a glint, you know, and just caught my eye, and and I and I was like, oh, that's that's Brian's bow. <laughs> yeah, I had it strapped to my pack, and and when you said that, I always knew like, oh, I I bought it when I was going through a white camel phase in college, where I thought white camel was the coolest yeah. thing, and I was gonna buy a truck and make it white camel type of mindset. Yeah, that's a better phase than some people go through in college these days. True. Yeah. It wasn't a white line phase. It was a white camo phase. Um, and so I always knew it wasn't optimal, but I didn't think it really mattered that much. But when you said, yeah, I saw your bow from like two miles away with my naked eye, I'm like, all right, the next bow is not going to be white camo. That's what kind yeah. of really put it in my mind that like this could be an issue now for elk hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get... I don't get as obsessive over, you know, over that, over that kind of stuff as, uh, I know guys that they, they go buy a brand new bow and the first thing they do is they break it down and they rattle can that thing, you know, just, just because, you know, they're like, you know, this, this green ambush is too bright, 
Oh yeah. They, you know, they, they'll dole it out a little bit with, with spray paint and, and, uh, but yeah, I, I do try to get, you know, some, you know, some of those earth tone colors, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't obsess about it to the point that some guys I know do. Yeah, I don't either, but the white one, that struck me as like, if it's that noticeable to a human, an elk's probably going to yeah. look at that, and they might, they honestly might look at it and be like, I don't know what that is, but it's not that right. big of a deal. But I just right. don't necessarily want them to be like scanning and be like, oh, there he is. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to do here. something. Earth, tone, you know, maybe I'll do that canyon. I don't know. I think I'm going to switch to Hoyt. You guys are shooting Hoyt, right? No, I actually... Um... I, I've, I've been, I've been shooting Matthews for a couple of years. I, I, I've, I've been, I'm not, I, I'm not married to a brand of bow. I, you know, I, I go out and, uh, you know, when I'm looking at a new bow, I, 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 I shoot everything, mm. you know, I'll go out if, you know, I'll shoot a bear if they've got a bear there to shoot, just, you know, just to see how it feels compared to, you know, the other bows and, and, uh, but no, I've been I've been shooting a Matthews for three years, I think. Okay. Yeah. Are you shooting a heavy bow? Um. It, I mean, it's a it it it's the one the the one that I have set up for for elk season is uh, it's a VXR. So what is that? I think that's three or four years old. And it's a, it's the 31, 30, 31 and a half axle to axle. So, you know, it's the, it's the, the longer yeah. bow. Um, but I actually weighed it here the other day. I didn't have my quiver on it, which is, you know, is a, the, my seven arrow quiver probably puts it, you know, right at 10 pounds. Yeah. But without that quiver on there, I think I was, I think I was right under, I was just under eight. Yeah, I remember you said that yeah, I shoot a 10-pound bow, which seems heavy. I shoot a heavy bow, but that's because I have a pretty good-sized stabilizer with some weight, and I have a back bar that yeah, I hunt with. I've got that. Yeah, so it adds yeah, up. Yeah, I think I've got a 12-inch um, stabilizer on the front, and then I've got the 10-inch back bar. Yeah, I think I'm some, – not to compare sizes, but <laughs> I think I'm right in there somewhere. Um, and then are you shooting a lot of weight? Are you shooting a lot of poundage? Uh, so my VXR is, it's, it, I've got the, I've got the 75 pound mods on there. Okay. Um, it honestly, you know, the difference between the 70 and 75 isn't that much, but it, it gives me, um, just enough, it, it gives me the optionality of, I can maintain a, a, you know, a good speed, you know, um, cause I shoot, uh, 150 gram broadheads yeah. for, for elk. And, um, so it gives me the, you know, the option I, I can maintain that, you know, I'm right there somewhere between 280 and 285, um, feet per second, you know, with, with a, with a heavier broadhead. Yeah. I recently just switched. I'm, I think I'm at like 175 grain and that's, you know, I'm, I wish I could shoot a little faster cause I feel like I'm big enough and I work out enough that. It, you know, 75, 80 pounds wouldn't be the issue for me. So it'd be nice to yeah. get some of that speed back, but it's all like yeah. archery is just one of those things where it's, it's almost like it's a journey, not a destination. Like rifle hunting is a destination. Yeah. You build a rifle and it's done. 
yeah. but like archery hunting, and I listened to some of the podcasts that you had with Brian, the other Brian, Brian Call, the more famous Brian, um, <laughs> and talking about like how you like you got into it, and then you 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 mean you've done a lot of work on your form and your archery journey yeah. yourself. Like, what have you found was kind of the biggest impacts to to like not just accuracy, but just being sustainable, like really dialing in the form. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, when I, when I met Brian call, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be someplace where there's just, you know, there's an amazing shop and, uh, you know, and those guys, I mean, they really, they really took me in and, 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 and helped me work on that form um kind of got me going down the right path and then and you know and then they started introducing some different tools um you know i i, I messed I, i've got all kinds of stories with with hinge releases you know send them through my bow uh you know <laughs> punching myself in the face you know things like that but i i so i try i haven't been as good about it here lately but but you know i i try to I try to get out and, and shoot and I, and I'm lucky too. I've got a lot of, I, I kind of live a little bit rural so I can, I can get out in the backyard and, and shoot. But, um, I've got a buddy that, you know, he lived down in Austin in the, in, in, in the suburbs for a long time. And, you know, he had like 15 yards where he could shoot down, you know, from his driveway into his garage and, and, and he, he, he'd, he'd go out and shoot, you know, two dozen arrows a day. Yeah. And, um, a lot of it's just repetition and, and, um, once, once you kind of get some instruction on what proper form is, it's, it's recognizing when that form is breaking down. And so, you know, that's where, that's where I, uh, you know, I, I introduce like a hinge release because for me, that hinge release really makes me focus on my form to make that shot, you know, break clean. And, you know, and so I basically have, I've got a, I've got a, a thumb release and a hinge release that are pretty much the, they're not the exact same company, but they're, but they're very similar dimensions. And so when I'm shooting with that hinge release, then when I pick up that, that thumb button, you know, I, I, I just use that same form. And, and, and honestly, if, if your form's correct, it's going to go off the same way as that hinge release does. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I, I know a lot of guys that, that, uh, you know, they go out, they, they pull their bow out, you know, a month, two weeks before archery season starts and they go out and they kill elk and, and great, you know, good on them. But, but me personally, I just, I just, I want to be, I want to be ready, um, year all the time. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and so I just, I put a lot of time into, you know, as I'm, as I'm walking around, you know, working on the house or whatever, you know, I, I take a few minutes for, for lunch or whatever. And, and, uh, I pulled the bow out and, you know, I hit the target out there, you know, a lot of times I'll just, I'll, I'll shoot that target, you know, not knowing exactly what the range is and, and just seeing, cause that's another good, another good thing to do too. If you, you know, if you know where your arrow's hitting on, on your 30 yard pin, you know, whether it's 25 or 35, you know, you can get an idea of, of error calculation. Oh yeah. Um, 
you know, where that, where that's going to hit if you're off by a few yards. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, I just, my, my, my fear is, 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 is wounding an elk and then having to spend three days looking for it and then, you know, ultimately not finding it. Yeah. That, that is, I mean, worst case scenario, right? I mean, that's like, yeah. not that wrecks the whole hunt. It wrecks the whole experience. You're going to think about it. I mean, for you, you'll be thinking about it until you get out next, but for our flatlanders, I mean, we're going to think about it the whole year. Like it's just going to eat at you for a whole yeah. year. Um, yeah. and we have people in our, we have a guy in our group that did that at once and it bothered him for a long time. Um, yeah. and it's funny you say that because that exact situation happened to me. I had a six point bull walk by, I was at very killable. You know, most, you know, experts would have killed that bull 10 times out of 10 times, but I wasn't that confident in the air calculation in the just picking up a bow and shooting it without the known distance. And I felt like I needed to get this range in so bad that I wasted all my time trying to get a range and I was shaking and I never got it. And he walked through the opening and then after it all cooled down, I, you know, ranged it it was 35 yards. And then that really taught me like, if this is under 40 yards, you need to be able to kill that bull without your range finder because you're not always going to have that luxury of pulling it out, having the time, you know, I've noticed it's very hard for me to range when there's a bull because I'm going like this, it, it, you know, I shaking so bad. Right. I can't get a good range. Now I can't even trust it when it goes off. So if it's that close, I really need to be able to, to know my distances and know yeah. how my bow is going to perform. So I don't have to waste that time. Um, and I, and, and, and I love, I'm like anybody. I mean, there's, there's, there's a level of, of arrogance that, you know, I can go out and, you know, I can pull that bow back and I could, you know, I can hit a target at 80, 90, a hundred yards. And, and, uh, you know, that's great. But I know so many guys that they, they get so focused on that 50 plus that they don't know what's going to happen inside that 40 yards and they can't get the range finder on it. You know, and th- you know, that's when you, you shoot over and you shoot under them, you know, because you don't know what the, what the, what those pins are like, you know, inside of 30 yards, I mean, you can use your 20 yard pin. You just need to know where to, where to aim. So if you're off by 10 yards, you're still going to be in that, you're still going to be in that kill zone. Yeah. You're going to be in in those vitals. And, and it's, it's so important because the closer you get, the less time you're going to have, the less movement you're going to be able to get away with. Oh, for sure. And at a certain point, you just have to have that killer instinct that says it doesn't matter. If this bull's right. at thirty-two or twenty-six, I'm gonna put my twenty on his on his lungs and the forties on his heart, and this bull's gonna die. Exactly, exactly. But but you you've got to know that that's the case. Yeah. You know, and that comes through repetition and practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good insight. I wish you would have told me that like five years ago, the year before <laughs> I shot that or missed that shot at a bull, which is so equally frustrating because like two days later we're walking out of this we're walking out of the timber into a meadow and there's a bull feeding midday at 53 yards and the and it, you know this opportunity has been eating at me for two days now everything i messed up i didn't stop them i didn't get a range i shoot i was shooting a single ping slider at the time which is kind of feeding into yeah. why i thought i had needed this range nothing went to plan so the second time, I did everything textbook. I knocked my arrow. I think I already had an arrow knocked because we could smell elk. You know, I ranged him 53, dialed the 53, drew back as I stopped him, you know, did the, you know, 
stop them, yeah. settle the pin, shot breaks, and there's an explosion about a foot in front of my bow. There was a, there was a branch that was so close. Uh-huh. It was in front of my arrow but not in my sight housing. And so yeah. when I shot, that tree went wild. I saw my lighted knock just sail way out into Yellowstone. I mean, Yellowstone's yeah. 20 miles away, but that's how far I missed this bull by. 30 feet yeah. over his back, and the bull just kind of whirls and looks like what happened. And my brother steps out from a behind a tree just like, you know, last of the Mohicans, takes an arrow out, pulls back, asks for the range. I'm like 60, shoots it, bull runs two miles straight back to the four-wheeler and tips over, and done deal i'm like yeah that's just the way this works i suppose did everything right tree jumped out in front of me brother gets the bull yep so yeah but i I mean yeah that that, that's the thing too is you you know like in that situation you're hunting it you're hunting as a as a pair and you know you've got first shot your brother's not just standing there you know with his proverbial yeah. you know what in his hand you know he's he's he you know he's somewhat prepared that if something goes wrong with your shot he can get that shot off yeah and uh yeah that last bull that that last bull i killed um you know he was dead with my arrow but my brother was he was kind of down below me i i my shot was 30 yards and i think his was his was like 42 or something from where he was at and and uh you know but i hit that thing i hit him you know right in the chest you know killed him but he but he went to stand up and my brother was ready yeah and you know he he threw another arrow up there because he saw him trying to get up and and uh you know that made it that made a quick track job because he rolled right over in his bed and died right there oh my gosh that shooting an elk with a bow is you know i haven't done it yet my brother's done it a bunch but that's going to be right up there but watching him tip over is going to be like yes that's the full circle of of you know yeah. otherwise like even if you know you drilled them but he ran off and you didn't see him tip over you're still going to be like what happened like I saw yeah. that arrow go in his heart and he ran a hundred yards and now yeah. I can't see him anymore. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, you know, I had a great time talking to you. I don't want to kind of respect your time, even though he sounds like you got a lot of it, but um, we are coming up over an hour here. So um, maybe more yeah, so man. respect the listener's time. So, yeah. Awesome. Give yeah. people a chance to, to follow you along with you. I, I want, I want you to share your Instagram cause it's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, my Instagram is three Oh three trophy husband. Um, you know, like I actually the, the outfit, one of the outfitters I worked for down in Colorado, he kind of, he kind of gave me that one. You know, he, he was, he was, I was kind of talking to him about, about, you know, guiding fly fishing for him. And, he, and he's like, he's like, well, what do you, you know, what are you, what are you doing right now? Where do you work? And I, and I, and I kind of thought about it for a second and I said, I'm a trophy husband. And he goes, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. Cause I think I asked her, we got, I got your Instagram, um, like day one or two before I kind of knew that you actually were a trophy husband. And my first reaction was like that, doesn't seem to match the guy I just met. 
Like, that's a very strange Instagram handle. Then I found out, like, no, you know, my wife works full time, so I'm kind of home with the kids, and then I just hunt and fish. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, now it yeah. makes sense. Yeah, get on there, follow me. Um, I'm always, you know, people people coming from the, you know, from the Midwest, the South. Um, you know, you want you want advice on, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you like particular spots, but you know, you want advice on on gear that you that you might want to have you know like like realistically you know there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions out there on gear people tend to spend a lot more money than they need to um you know tactics anything anything like that i mean you can reach out to i don't post a whole ton but i'm always you know i check my messages and anybody that's got questions for me i you know I'm, i'm i'm an open book on a lot of stuff and you know, I just, I want, I want people to come out here and be successful. I, I guess I'm kind of in the minority on, you know, the, the resident hunter. Um, I like to see people come out from out of state. I like meeting people from out of state yeah. and, and, uh, and, and seeing them succeed is, I love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a cool thing to see, to meet people in the hunting community that are like-minded and are, are helpful and open. I think it's just important if you're going to be asking those questions, like learn how to ask good questions. So for example, right. don't ask where should I go? Ask right. how should I look for a unit? Right. And then yeah. that gives you that gives us or Dwayne or me or anyone that gives you them more ability to answer your question because they're not going to give you your spot. Right? Right. But then they could say, well, if you're looking for just a, an experience in seeing elk, you know, look, you know, go to this website and look for, you know, places that are over objective or look for the kind of terrain that you feel comfortable hunt. Like this is how I would find a unit. And then that's not right. only like going to teach you something, but then you're going to be able to do that over and over again. Or it's just, if Dwayne right. magically does give you a spot, it's probably a spot he doesn't like, and it's not going to go to, it be. but it's only one, <laughs> like you're, that's a one-time thing, right? Now if yeah. you go there and it doesn't work, you're still out with anything. If, if Dwayne teaches you how you can look for a unit, then you can apply that to every hunt. So, yeah. Yeah, learn how to ask good questions. You get a lot more information that way. Yep. So, awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Dwayne. Go check him out, 303 Trophy Husband. Um, lots of great fly fishing pictures, lots of mule deer, yeah. lots of elk. So. Yeah, hopefully, I, yeah, hopefully the as I start getting back out with the rod, there will be more fly fishing pictures. But uh, I'm going to try to get out with the camera a little bit more uh, this spring and early summer too and then and, and see what I can get. I've got some backpacking trips planned. And uh, so I'm going to try to get the camera out a little more and try to get some pictures of some elk and moose and stuff like that going too. Cool. There it is. Going to be a full-service Instagram page. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for being Amen. here. Thanks for yep, listening. Good to folks. talk to you. Yeah, always reach out anytime. Yep.